Are you a healthcare organization struggling to achieve success? What if I told you that success not only depends on strategy, but also on the right mindset? At the Mindset Gap, their team of seasoned consultants understand the critical role mindset plays in achieving organizational excellence by empowering your workforce to think innovatively, embrace change, and adapt to new challenges. So imagine your workplace, one where your employees and patients thrive, where creativity and productivity go hand in hand, and where obstacles become opportunities. Don't let your organization fall into the mindset gap. Take the first step towards unlocking your potential today and email assist at themindsetgap.com with the referral code GENCAN20 to schedule a consultation. Welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. This is a safe space where we invite healthcare providers to unapologetically be themselves after the working day. My name is Jennifer George, and each week I will connect you with guests and stories that will help transform your stress to success and fulfillment. Are you with me? Grab your drink of choice and let's chat. Hey everyone, welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. I'm your host, Jennifer George, and I'm joining you today with Dr. Sharon Grossman. Dr. Sharon Grossman is a clinical psychologist. She's a success coach, a burnout expert, and the author of the international best-selling book, The 7E Solution to Burnout, Transforming High Achievers from Exhausted to Extraordinary. In this episode, we chat about her journey of how she discovered coaching high-achieving women in medicine and how her experiences led her to helping others on how to decode their burnout so as to bounce back stronger, whether they decide to stay in the profession or pivot. There's a lot of value in this episode, and you might find yourself resonating and reflecting on the stories and experiences that she shares. So grab your drink of choice. You don't want to miss it and join us. Hi, Sharon. Hi. Hi. So excited to be here. I'm so excited that you're here. I don't know. It feels like every episode I've recorded has led to this moment. No pressure on you. But <laughs> when you reached out about being on this show and sharing you know, some education around burnout for, for healthcare providers, I was just immediately excited about it. So I've been waiting to, to record this with you. So thank you for being here. But before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So I have spent the last 20 years as a psychologist, really doing a lot of one-on-one work with people who are in very high stress situations. So a lot of people in medicine, as you might imagine, as well as executives, entrepreneurs, different, different kind of stressors, right, that people are facing. And as I was working with them and trying to think about you know, I wanted to start this coaching practice. What are the things that really come up again and again that I can shed light on, that I can take all of my years of experience and package them into 
a format that would be really helpful to people because I feel like therapy is the kind of thing that can go on and on. And a lot of times it can be like people start getting into this groove of, I just show up. I just show up. I just show up. And then everything in between is lost. And I always say to people, what you do outside of the session is just as important as what we do in the session. And if, if there isn't any continuity in between, then you're not really implementing the things that you're learning. And that is super important for your growth. So as I started to look at the world of coaching and what I really appreciated about that is that it's more structured. People come in with a different mentality. It's not like, oh, someone else is going to pick up the tab and I just like need to show up. But people are a lot more involved in the process. That's been my experience. I don't know if that's necessarily true across the board, but uh, I love the energy that people come in with. And so I was thinking about like, who are the people that I really am passionate the most helping? And what I found was a lot of them were women in medicine and specifically the ones that actually really love medicine, right? They came into this because it was their calling. They felt like their life purpose is to come in and to help other people in this very particular way. And they've given years and years of their life to get to this point. And now they're in the system and they don't know how to manage in a way that leads them to live the life that they had dreamed about. And I think that's important is we want to look beyond just the education and getting in the door. We want to look at like how to make it sustainable. Mm -hmm. And when I started reading up on burnout, what I found was that there's a lot of stuff out there that people aren't aware of until it's too late. So people come in and they start telling me how they're doing. And I would say, based on what I just read, oh, it sounds like you're burning out. They'd be like, oh, I never thought about it like that. Right. Mm-hmm. So the the words that kind of apply to us at the beginning of the journey are things like, I'm exhausted, I'm stressed, you know, and I've heard people say things like, I just thought that I'm supposed to feel like this. And that in 18 years, when my kids leave the house, then everything will magically be better. Mm-hmm. And wow. I'm like, no, <laughs> wow. that's not how it's supposed to be. <laughs> and And then specifically why I chose this population too, is because there is that passion, but also when they can't figure out how to do it sustainably, their go-to is often, I need to leave medicine because this doesn't work. And it's not like I'm excited about that. I'm actually heartbroken about it. And so that's where I come in and I say, wait, before you make any major changes, let's actually see if we can do something that helps you stay in it in a more sustainable way. So you can keep doing the work that you are passionate to do and not have to sacrifice. I mean, you've already like put in like 10, 15 years just to get here. Right. We want to, we want to help you help other people. And so this is kind of, that's become my work now. Wow. That's quite the journey. So can I ask this question? Because as you were talking about your ideal client, let's say your niche right now, which is um, high achieving women in medicine, is there any reflection of that on yourself based on your story? Like you're in medicine. Um, did you personally have a story or an experience with burnout that kind of made you see things from a dis- different perspective where you could be now a resource and coach? to women in medicine or to high achieving women in general? 
So what I'm going to tell you is probably going to surprise you. Okay. <laughs> I love if that. You, if you asked a hundred coaches that focus on burnout, that exact question, probably everyone but me would say the exact same thing, which okay. is, yes, I had a burnout story. I learned from my experience and now I teach based on that, mm-hmm. which is very, very common. Um, and what's kind of different about my story is that when I got out of school and I was in my very first job, I was working for a nonprofit and I really loved just being an employee and showing up and it was so easy and you just kind of eventually climb up the ladder and you make your way to a certain point. But what happened for me was I really reached a ceiling at some point where the only place to go was management. And I really didn't want to do that because it takes me away from my clinical work, which is why I got into the field in the first place. Mm -hmm. So as I started to consider alternatives, it it became very clear that the only thing that I really wanted actually didn't exist, right? I wanted to have something that aligns with my value of having that balanced lifestyle. So I didn't want to work excessive hours. I don't want like a lot of places, you know, they want you to work nights and weekends, or you have a very long commute, Mm -hmm. um, or you have to work with a certain population that I don't want to work with. So there were all these factors out there in every job that I went to look for. And it became very clear that the only option out there was for me to create what I'm looking for, which basically meant going into business for myself. And I was very hesitant to do that because Listen, I was accustomed to having the structure and having all the didactics built in, which are very important for me, mm-hmm. working as part of a team. So all the things that, you know, make working for someone else helpful. And the other piece of it was I had learned so much when I was in grad school, going to all of these conferences and whatnot about how practitioners in private practice burn out. So I always had that in the back of my mind. I'm like, oh, that's a disaster waiting to happen. Right. Yeah. So here I am at this crossroads where I have to make a decision. And I'm like, okay, well, this is the only option that is viable given my value, which was driving my decision. So I said, okay, so knowing that I have to go in and I got to just do it smart, right? I got to make sure that what the way I set it up is kind of burnout proof. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I got a location for my office that this is pre-COVID. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. That that was a 10 minute walk to my gym. Okay. And I I obviously am my own boss now, so I can make my own hours. And so I would have my morning group of people that I would see and then I would schedule a large break in in the middle of the day. I'd go work out, I'd have my lunch and then I'd have my afternoon clients. And then I would go home. I would make sure I do all my paperwork before I left the office. So there was nothing kind of waiting for me the next day other than to come back in and see the next group of folks. And that worked actually really well for me because it was an opportunity for me to do the work that I loved in the context that worked well. I was also taking care of my health that made sure I wasn't overworking. Mm -hmm. And minimizing the stress by making sure that I get all my notes done on that day. So it was very methodical. It was very systematic, you could say. And when people ask me about burnout, they often assume like I have this personal story, you know, some sort of dramatic thing that happened to me. And I don't, but I think that there is still something to be learned from approaching your decisions from a place of values 
and being strategic. And so that's what I hear who I'm here to share. Which I, I totally appreciate. I, I did assume that you would have had a burnout story. I'm going to be honest with you, because pretty much everyone I've had on the show has has had that conflict at some point in their career. So would you say that when you started your practice um, privately, were you were you more or less stressed than when you were an employee? Like, did you reg- was there ever a moment of regret? Or were you just like, you just had it really strategically down that, you know, you had full confidence in, in what you were doing? You know, it's actually funny. Like, it's almost like there's a switch that got flipped Mm -hmm. because you have to have a different mindset when you work for someone else and when you have your own business. And what it did was it shifted my focus from coming in and maybe trying to absorb whatever they're giving me and doing the best that I can with that to now getting creative about how do I get my needs met and I'm responsible for that. So if I am so fascinated by learning, then how can I set myself up in such a situation where even though I'm quote unquote isolated, you know, working by myself, that I'm still tapped in and mm-hmm. I'm learning things. And I have to say the years that I was in private practice, I learned more than I did in all the years that I worked outside for someone else. I love that. And I I think that would make sense because you're driven to manage everything at every level yourself, including the care that you're providing on top of managing the business itself and um, just growing yourself constantly, I would think. Yeah. So that's exactly it. So I really felt responsible to provide the best level of care that I can for my clients, which meant, and this is where my personality really comes in, right? Mm -hmm. Like it meant that I want to go above and beyond. I want to give them not just information, not just insight, but I want them to have tools. I see it. And this is how I always start my sessions. I tell them, I see my job as helping you build a toolbox so that you can utilize these tools whenever you need them and that you're not reliant on me for the rest of your life. Right. Or reliant on an employer or or like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Depending on where they're at. You know, you you brought up an interesting point when you mentioned that you kind of had this limiting belief before you went into your own practice because of what you heard about burnout being so rampant in the private sector. I really wish that at the grassroots level, we, we did talk more about burnout and how to protect ourselves from it. But we also didn't put that on on people too before they even started their careers, right? Because that kind of stuff stays with you, right? So I, I'm glad that you had the resiliency to to look beyond that because you stuck to your values ultimately, and that's where it took you. What would you say your values are? So there's a number of different things that I value. Clearly, we all have our values, but I would say if you look back at all the major decisions I've ever made in my life. The number one value that's always at the forefront is lifestyle. Mm. And what that means, and I hope people are really listening to this part, because when you are aligned with your values, it's not necessarily that you always get the best of everything. What it means is that you're aligned with yourself. And so what that meant for me was that I might sacrifice something in order to stay within my values, right? So when I was thinking about which graduate program do I want to attend, and I had maybe a a menu of different options Mm -hmm. to go to, I made a decision that wasn't necessarily, as shocking as it may sound for a lot of people, it wasn't necessarily going to be 
the best academically. Like I wasn't looking at that because in my mind, it was like at the end of the day, I am going to graduate and be able to do the work that I want to do. So what I'm more interested in is if it's going to take me seven years to get there, how do I want to spend my seven years? Okay. Right. So I'm, I'm really focused on the journey and like, what is the quality of the experience going to be like? And I know that that's very controversial because most people are focused on, you know, I want to go to the best school and the best education. Mm -hmm. I want to be number one, you know, and there's that really competitive nature and it's just not who I am. So it's not to say that it's wrong to do it another way. It's just, Mm -hmm. I think we all have to be aligned with whatever our values are. And for me, it's less about the competition or the status or things like that. That's in my personality code. Those are lower on my values, if you will. Yep. So the things that I really value are learning. And I figured, you know, I'm in an institution where they are feeding me whatever it is they need to feed me. I don't get to choose what I get to learn here. And as you know, what happens oftentimes when we are in that kind of a setting, they have to check the boxes. They have to teach you whatever they need to. So that's that meant... I mean, just in translation, that when you're in a doctoral program for psychology, you spend a lot of time learning to be a researcher, Mm. which means you're taking a lot of statistics classes. Have I used any of that knowledge in all the years since graduation? (laughs) Not really, right? But I don't have a choice in what they're going to feed me. So my kind of way of dealing with that is saying, okay, I'm going to get through this and I'm going to supplement the things that I need for my soul, right? For my own like desire to learn and expand mm-hmm. um, when I have time for me. And that's exactly what happened when I went into private practice is now it's like, not only am I driven by my desire to learn, but I am driven by the desire to share that knowledge with my clients so they can better their lives. And so now that's why I was saying that was the time when I learned the most. Mm-hmm. and. What I love about that is I often talk to people who are in, you know, the coaching field mm-hmm. in one way, shape or another, they might be an author or a speaker. And a lot of times, you know, they see a PhD next to my name and they feel intimidated and they sometimes even come out and tell me that. And I say, you know what? It doesn't really mean anything in my mind, because it's like, if you've done the work and you are now an expert in your area because you have a lived experience, because you've done the research, because you've done something that makes you really understand it and are able to help other people with it, then that's what matters, mm-hmm. you know? And so there's no difference between me and you just because I have three letters next to my name. Yeah. I could see people being intimidated by that, even themselves going into coaching because it's taken off, right? The coaching industry. And, you know, and so I can imagine that people in the industry, I'm not saying you specifically, but are dealing with things like imposter syndrome and, you know, perfectionism and things of that nature. Myself, I'm just like, just right now, just thinking about it. If I were to get into coaching, um, I would be comparing myself in a way to your credentials because I'm I'm not a psychologist and I would think there would have to be an element of that, but that's not behind my name. <laughs> right. So I I just being honest here, that that yeah. is that is some of the the stuff that goes on in my mind. That's part of the reason why I never actually pursued a formal coaching program because because there is like where do you draw the line in a way? 
but I guess it's ultimately what you make of it, right? Like what you want for yourself. And so would you say that you now connect more? There's no doubt that your psychology career has helped and has been pivotal and meaningful to all of this. But would you say that you more or less connect more now with the coaching side of what you do? Like, do you still practice clinical psychology? Or have you gone fully into coaching practice? So I do a little bit on the side. So it's basically since COVID, I would say there's been a transition where I was doing mostly therapy and a little coaching on the side. And now it's basically flipped where I'm doing mostly coaching a little bit of therapy. Wow. Um, Yeah. And you're right. I think that it has like the psychology background has helped with my coaching. I also think that what that really means when you think about my personality and what I bring is that it's just the way my brain is wired. I happen to be a very analytical person. So I can listen to what you're saying and I can consolidate that information and package it up and like give it to you. And it makes you feel like not only understood, but it's like, oh, that's what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes we're like all over the place and we're not sure if we're making sense and if we're communicating in a way that's effective. And so that's kind of, one of my strengths, I think. And people have kind of called me out on it recently, actually. I'd be like on a podcast or something. And I would just like regurgitate what the other person said in my own words. And they'd be like, oh, yes, that's what, you know, that's what that is. So um, so I just think that's, I don't know if that's my psychology background. I think it's just like my brain is just that way. That's one of my strengths is be able to take the information and, and just look at the big picture and be able to just put it in a logical kind of sequential format for people. So that's so, that's for sure helpful. But to also answer your question, I think it's it's blended. The coaching, okay. I, I don't think I can separate them because it's just like part of who I am right now. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love how you put that together. It doesn't have to be one or the other. And even if you do leave one profession, right? It, you're, it's still always a part of you. Um, I find like as a physio, I'm always going to be a physio like that. I ha- I owe everything to that in a way, you know, with where I am today. So what made you go into coaching specifically, like to, like to go that route to get the education behind that and to focus your part of your profession now on that as well? There's so many things I love about coaching. I think number one is it just really jives with my personality because it's focused on the strengths of the person. It usually, you know, at least when I'm thinking about coaching is like people come in, they're motivated. Mm -hmm. They are all in on the process. As I mentioned before, sometimes with therapy, I've had experiences where people take a back seat. And they're just like, oh, my insurance is going to pay for this. And Mm -hmm. I'm just going to like show up every week. But they're not really thinking about what you're talking about outside of the session. And then if they'll come in and I'll say, so do you remember what we talked about last week? They're like, "Uh, no, I don't remember. Or if I give them an assignment to do, they're like, oh, I forgot to do it. You know, and there's Mm -hmm. that kind of lack of accountability. And I feel like when you have skin in the game, Mm -hmm. you are going to not only show up more focused, more motivated, but you're going to get far greater results in a shorter amount of time, which makes it fun for them and for me. 
Yeah, I can tell by the the change in your demeanor, actually, <laughs> literally, because um, yeah. I can see you when you're talking about coaching and using those words and talking about the empowering side of it, um, and the motivating side of it compared to um, the psychology and the therapeutic side of, of that and how they're they're different in a lot of ways. I could just see it in your demeanor, how you were almost <laughs> drained in a way <laughs> by, by sharing how some people do take a back seat. What was interesting when I was doing the therapy is that it evolved over time. Yeah. And I started out by doing more or less uh, CBT, so cognitive behavioral mm-hmm. therapy. And um, over time, I wanted to go deeper. And that's when I started focusing more on trauma. And what was so fascinating is the deeper you go, the more fascinating the work. Because it's like, I see people as an onion and the more you peel the layers and the more you realize like, do they have a lot more layers in there or not that many? And that really dictates the pace and how quickly they recover. Um, So I love just like digging in there. And so now I'm not doing the trauma work, obviously in my coaching, but I think that also informs the work because we'll approach it differently. Like we'll talk about their schemas, their underlying beliefs that are driving them, their values, like we Mm -hmm. talked about today. There Mm -hmm. are things that the more you understand about yourself, the better you're going to be able to make the changes in your life. So if you're feeling really stuck in this like pattern, you're not sure why, and the same sort of things keep showing up again and again, there's a reason for that. And it's not going to just necessarily show up in a way that makes sense to you. So when we do this work, you can very quickly uncover what those things are and then turn them around and reprogram your brain to be exactly the way that you want it to be and run the kind of program that you want to set on purpose, which I think is really fun. Oh, I love that. So talk to me about burnout now in the sense that people are coming to you for that kind of support in in your coaching practice. So you kind of mentioned in the beginning how you help people identify early on in a way, some of the burnout factors or risks that they may not even be aware of, or that delayed uh, recognition of it, like you said, like, they kind of had a life plan and put themselves aside for many years until like a brick literally hits them, and then they realize they're, they're stuck or they're burned out. And that's kind of the premise of my show is along the way, I'm just trying to, to help people check in with themselves. And maybe you can give me more insight on on kind of what people can do to decode their burnout to figure out if they are experiencing early signs of it, and kind of how to go about managing it. Yeah, so I love that you asked that. And I think it's important on two different levels. One is to first and foremost, have that diagnosis. In other words, to understand like, yes, this is what I'm going through right now. And until you know that you have a name for it, just like in medicine, we diagnose people's problems. And the reason we do that is not to stigmatize, but to be able to then treat mm-hmm. based on the condition that you're facing, right? So if you think it's just like, oh, it's just stressful, then you're not going to think burnout. You're going to think like, oh, I just need to take a walk, do some breathing. We're seeing a lot of people now resigning and taking these sabbaticals and things like that. Mm-hmm. And while that gives you a break, it doesn't actually change anything, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't resolve whatever is causing the problem. So it's kind of a band-aid approach. And that's why it's really important to look at the root of what's happening. Yeah. So there's two things, as I mentioned. One is to understand that what you're experiencing is actually burnout. And so it's like, then how do you differentiate between just like, I'm stressed, I'm tired, 
or whatever the case may be, and I'm burned out. So that's an important first question to answer. And the second one is then why am I burned out, right? What brought me here? And that's the other piece of it. So uh, I'll start with the first one. Yeah, that would be great. So when we talk burnout, essentially what that boils down to is chronic stress. And there's a very uh, distinct difference between acute stress and chronic stress. We all have acute stress, right? And the thing about acute stress is that it's, you know, the way that somebody looked at you or when you were stuck in traffic and you knew that you were in a hurry or, you know, you, you tripped and maybe twisted your ankle and now you're pissed off because you can't walk or it's <laughs> taking you a lot longer to get wherever you're going, right? All these little things that happen throughout the day, those are acute stressors. And while in the moment there, it's not ideal and maybe you need to really take a break and breathe through it and whatnot, we forget about them very quickly. Like we just move on to the next thing. They don't stay with us, Mm -hmm. right? It's kind of like the dream that you had last night that you probably don't even remember. Mm -hmm. And if you do, it's like, okay, well, whatever, I'm on to the next. But if you've got that recurrent nightmare, it's the same thing over and over and over again. That's more like what burnout is. So it's when, let's say you find your job incredibly stressful. And it's not just stressful on Monday. It's also stressful on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. And all you can think about is the weekend. Mm -hmm. And then you come back and you got Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday all over again. That's where it starts to pile on. And that's where we really don't have enough of a break, enough of a way to uh, bounce back Mm -hmm. before we go back into it that it starts to break us down. That's what I would describe burnout as feeling like, right? And if we think about that as burnout, then the question is, what stresses you out specifically as opposed to someone else? And that's where the nuance really comes into the picture because a lot of stress. And when I say stress, I'm not talking about physiological stress. Like, you know, you're out in the cold without warm clothing, um, because that's stressful on the body, but more so psychological stress, mental stress, right. Which is Mm -hmm. what burnout is really based on. That's mostly about your perception about things. Mm -hmm. So when you are going in on Monday and you're doing your job and the thoughts that circulate in your mind are, this is too hard. I can't do this. Or like you mentioned, if you have imposter syndrome and you're thinking, I'm going to mess this up. They're going to figure this out. I'm going to lose my job. I'm not going to be able to pay my bills. If I can't pay my bills, I'm going to be homeless. Like no one's going to love me. Like, and you go down this crazy rabbit hole and all you can think about all day are all the horrible things that are going to happen or how, you know, you're going to, I have a client right now that I'm working with who is a a veterinarian and her biggest fear factor was losing an animal. So she would do all these surgeries and she would save the animal and she could not take any credit, could not feel accomplished with anything good that she did because she had this like superstition that if I say I did a good job, then the bad thing is then going to happen. Which is a deeper, which is like a deeper rooted belief. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. So, so that's that's exactly right. So 
if you don't understand what the deeper rooted beliefs are, right, then you won't understand why you're experiencing this in the way that you are right now. And it also means that each of us has a different set of deep rooted beliefs based on our early life experience way before we came into medicine. Mm -hmm. So that's why if you have two different physicians in the exact same situation, one might be completely burned out and the other one might not be. So I had another person I was working with as an example, and she came in saying, you know, listen, it's just the industry. They're expectations are completely unrealistic. There's no way I'm working overtime. It's really stressing me out. And so we start working together and I asked her, is there anyone that you work with right now who doesn't feel like they're really stressed out? Like, is there anybody that seems really put together? And she said, oh, well, there's this one woman. And I said, okay, so your homework is to reach out to this woman, have coffee, take her out to lunch, whatever. And I want you to interview her. I want you to ask her, what are you doing? What's your secret sauce, right? What is helping you to get out on time, to not feel so stressed out? Like what is happening? And so she came back the following week and she started giving me like, this is the lowdown. This is what the woman said, right? (laughs) And what it did was, I think it affirmed that there is more than one way to show up at work. And the way that we show up has very much to do with our programming. And our personality is shaped by all the programming that we had earlier on. So then what I did was I looked at people's stories. When they show up with their burnout story, I wanted to cluster similarities. I want to see like, how do, how do all of these millions of stories come together in a way that we can say, there's a profile and you fall into this camp or this camp or this camp, and that can help you identify with that profile. And then say, people who fall into this bucket have used these kinds of strategies. Mm. And therefore, if I can see myself in that same bucket as opposed to the other buckets, then I can use those strategies to help me rather than some generic thing that's out there on the internet that says, oh, you should take a nap or you should take a vacation, right? And so that's where the whole decode your burnout really came in. And that's really getting to the why the those personality profiles that help explain those underlying factors that bring us to think a certain way to feel a certain way to engage with the work in a certain way or with our coworkers or at home and that's why we burn out very differently from other people who are also burning out wow so is that the commonality between basically your clients is that there are three personalities or three different lived experiences and whatnot. And can you tell us what those are? And can you you talk a little bit more about them? Of course. So the way that I've kind of brought them together, you know, that made sense in my brain, especially because I'm originally, (laughs) as I mentioned, a cognitive behavioral therapist, is I thought about the people who are overthinking everything. So I call them the thinkers, the people who are very emotional, right? And those are your feelers. And the people who are very behaviorally driven, and those are your doers. Mm. Okay, okay, so I'll just... Can I just say, is there is it possible to be a blend? And you can be a blend. Okay, okay. Cause I, can, yeah. I, I just, based on those headings, I'm like, I'm a little bit of everything, I think. So I'm Yeah, excited. I get that a lot. I get that a lot. <laughs> you can absolutely be more than one. 
Right. But typically you'll find that there's one that is primary. Mm. Okay. So it's kind of like, you know, when you do your Myers-Briggs and you've got this like combination code, Mm -hmm. you've got like the primary one and then you've got your secondary. And so there's probably some sort of a, an influence that the second has on the first. Anyway, so it, it, it can be like a blend, but just to give you a picture. So the thinkers are the people who, as I say, go through a mental obstacle course of perfectionism, self-criticism, indecisiveness, imposter syndrome, like you mentioned, uh, catastrophizing. And what all this does is it creates unnecessary anxiety, all of which depletes them of energy and -hmm. contributes to burnout. So if you know anything about burnout symptoms, the primary symptom is exhaustion. And it's not physical exhaustion. It's more of a mental exhaustion. And when you think about all the things I just mentioned and how much anxiety that creates, you can already feel like how exhausting that is to spend your whole day in your head like that and analyzing and overanalyzing and not feeling sure or safe. You know, that is very energy depleting. And then it's guaranteed to contribute to your burnout. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. yeah. The second type is your feelers. And they really burn out because they focus on pleasing other people. Mm-hmm. So what they end up doing is they'll take on more than they can chew. They become so overwhelmed in the process that they end up collapsing. Mm-hmm. And no matter how much they do, they're filled with guilt about saying no They're resentful when they say yes, which makes them feel really trapped and emotionally exhausted. So I was just working with a client who went to visit her family and all she had was a weekend and, you know, her parents are divorced. She's got people in different places and she could not enjoy any of it because when she's with her dad, she's feeling guilty about not being with her mom. Mm -hmm. And so the whole time she's filled with all of these anxieties about, you know, mom, mom's not doing well. She's probably pissed off at me. I should be over there. And like, she can't enjoy time with that. And so you can imagine how stressful going to visit the family becomes when really it can be a lovely experience. If you take off all of the, uh, the shoulds. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so that's an example of, and imagine how that can be in your job with patients and with your coworkers and with your manager. And if you live your whole life based on these shoulds, how exhausting that is when you're constantly having to do for everybody else, you're always putting your needs on the back burner, right? So that in and of itself means you're not getting your needs met, which leads to that depletion, that exhaustion and Mm -hmm. the burnout, right? Yeah. So there's, so they're stuck in that, in that whole cycle. And Mm -hmm. then you got the doers, and they really burn out because they're trying to do too much. Like they might, I, like I've had some people on my podcast mm-hmm. where they talk about, you know, I was trying to start a business while I was pregnant with my third child and I was giving my work, you know, 70 hours a week while trying to raise my kids or I had a kid with special needs and then I was working all these hours and doing all this stuff. And I had a dog and then I decided to get a puppy, right? Like, it's like, can we take on another thing and another thing and another thing? Because we feel like we have to do it all, right? And so they just uh, push themselves too hard and then 
when their bodies start to fall apart, they don't stop. They just Mm -hmm. keep pushing. And these are, I think, the people who burn out the hardest. Because, and if you, if you go back and you listen to some of the early episodes in my podcast, people share how they developed autoimmune diseases. Yeah. They found themselves hospitalized multiple times. Their hair was falling out. Mm. I mean, you know, I was just at my chiropractor's office Mm -hmm. and I gave him a copy of my book and he says, oh, well, I don't usually talk to my clients about this, but since you're in the field, you know, I've been so stressed out. I develop shingles in my face. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I'm hearing a lot about shingles lately. So much yeah. about shingles. I'm wow. telling you. And I, it's all stress related. Wow. It's all stress related. And that stress comes not from what we think, which is all of our external circumstances, but it comes from the demands we put on ourselves internally, all the messaging, all the programming. And that's where I like people to really be able to say, okay, this is me. Based on that, I need to focus on things that are very specific to my type, not just to recover from stress, but to then change the way that I show up so that it doesn't happen again. Right. That's the other thing is people will say like, oh, you know, I feel so much better now because I took that sabbatical or I took that vacation. They come back in, they do it the exact same way, and then they burn out a second time. Right. They're pre like they're they're back into the same stressful environment. So just going back to the doers, is it possible that they burn out hardest because they are also physically spreading themselves out thin as well, as opposed to it just being only cognitive or only, you know, mental and emotional that way? Um, because they literally are going from point A to point B so quickly and within maybe a day or so, you know, doing different things. Um, so I just wonder about the impact of all of the triggers really. Yeah. I mean, I think that um, there there is that propensity to do a lot of things, which obviously, as we know, like we all have 24 hours in a day. So if you are spreading yourself that thin, you're probably not doing any one thing really well. Mm. Right. So we need this. Like if you had a husband and friends and, and, you know, other relatives and kids and you gave everybody like a Tenth of your attention, yeah, you wouldn't really be present for any of those relationships. But if you gave your husband 100% of your attention and then wouldn't take calls when you're with him, and then you had very dedicated time to spend one on one with your kids, mm-hmm. and then you wouldn't let anything interrupt you with that, right? If you, if we're more intentional and we're doing things more one thing at a time, like we're more present, then the pacing of it, it's like we can still get to all the people, mm-hmm. but we don't get there all at the same time. And then we're the, it's more qualitative. Mm-hmm. I think that the thing with doers, you know, while thinkers are perf- your perfectionists and they're focused on the quality, like it has to be good enough. Mm-hmm. The doers are focused on doing enough, not necessarily on the quality, but on the quantity. Like I have so much to do in so little time, there isn't enough time and I'm feeling so stressed and I'm like making myself crazy. Right. So when people, when people come to you, uh, Sharon, do they have, like, what are they, what is their initial reason for coming to you? And then what do they walk out experiencing and recognizing and realizing by the time they're done with you, let's say. And I know coaching can be an ongoing process, but you know, when there's that um, 
where that moment where things click, right? Because I sometimes think, even in my own practice, people come to me for one reason, but then they kind of recognize that there's more going on. Um, so are you the one who's kind of help, like identifying things that maybe they're not even seeing yet or, or haven't realized because they're just in it? Absolutely. So, you know, when they first come in, it's because they know that there's something wrong. So they're focused on the symptoms. They're focused on, I'm burned out, I'm overwhelmed, I'm anxious, I can't stop thinking, my, I can't sleep at night, you know, I'm exhausted. So they're, fo- they're basically listing like all the symptoms. Mm-hmm. And my job is to help them figure out why they're experiencing all of this stuff, why they're burned out, right? And that's where we get more into the things that are under the covers, right? Like the root of the issue. So kind of like we were saying, if you are a thinker and you are worried about things going wrong and you want to stay on top of your work, then you are going to give an extra two hours of your personal time. And instead of having the time to eat a proper dinner, you're going to grab a sandwich and run and you're not going to focus as much on, you know, doing for you because you're focused externally on the work and doing a good job there. Right. And no matter what you do, you're going to feel like it's not good enough. And so that's going to keep that pattern in motion. And then if it does happen, if it does go the way that you want it to go, then you're going to say, Oh, well, you know, yeah, that's great, but it's not going to last. Or I've had people with that imposter syndrome say, sure. Like that's the, everybody can see that I'm, I did a good job here today, mm-hmm. but tomorrow we start mm-hmm. from scratch and mm-hmm. then who knows what's going to happen then. So they're always kind of like in the future and worried. And so it feels like you can never relax, mm-hmm. right? Cause there's always like the next thing. And so that's what anxiety really is. Anxiety is being in the future. Mm-hmm. And so by helping them see that they, that this is what's driving them and then understanding where that came from and helping them feel more contained, more centered, more safe in the world, they can let go of the need for control. They can have more self-compassion. They can overcome the fear of failure. They can start to trust their instincts to make a decision rather than being on the fence and worrying about making the wrong decision, which is the thing that leaves them in the indecision to begin with, right? Mm -hmm. So that's an example of the before and the after, right? So what do you say to those who kind of, I don't know if object is the right word, but who basically think burnout because, you know, the World Health Organization's defined it as an occupational hazard, right? So a lot of the um, the concern, especially from a lot of providers, is that there's a lot of systematic issues um, that also need to be addressed. And is part of your um, service to, to your clients to help them have those conversations with employers? Or is, you know, I don't want to say this and sound negative about it, but or does it rest on their shoulders in a way? Because that's the objection, right? It shouldn't rest on our shoulders as providers. We're already doing enough. <laughs> We're doing the best we can. Yeah. Um, and there are systematic barriers, you know, working Absolutely. within the system. So how do you how do you address that um, through your coaching? And because um, I'm sure you you probably get that objection. Well, one of the things that I would say is that when I got into this field and I was reading all the books in preparation for writing my own. Mm-hmm. Almost all the books, at least back then, were focused on the systematic approach, right? Like we need to make organizational changes. 
has to be from leadership down and all this stuff. And I kept thinking to myself, like, so if I'm that employee, Mm -hmm. I can't wait until they make these changes because, you know, with bureaucracy, these things can take years. And in the meantime, I'm really struggling. So, you know, that feels so disempowering to me. Yeah, Yeah, I totally am with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. And so my, my take on it is they absolutely, these are absolutely important things to talk about. They're important things to focus on in the the realm of organizations and work. And I think there are plenty of people that are focused on that, that I don't make that my focus. My focus is on empowering you to figure out how you can take care of your needs because, you know, not to say that you shouldn't fight the good fight, but if you're already burned out, like you don't have it in you to start fighting that fight, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where the organization might bring in those executive coaches or, you know, transitional whatevers, and they'll work with the organization. I think it's your job to learn to assert yourself. And that only comes from a place of recognizing your importance and the importance and the responsibility to take care of your own needs rather than saying like, oh, well, if they're not doing it or, you know, then, then it can't happen or that, I really am not as important as everybody else. And so let me make sure I take care of everything else and everyone else. Like that whole mentality has to change. Mm-hmm. I think just doing this work on yourself can have a huge domino effect on the quality of your life. And what that means is that you will either come back into the workplace in a new way that feels invigorating and you'll learn to navigate the system, or it might mean that you will pivot into something that is a better fit. And there isn't one right thing everybody's different and everybody's at a different stage. But what I want, what I want the message to be is that if you are giving up on your career because it feels too much, because you are at your wits end, that before you make any drastic changes, I think it's worth spending time in coaching to figure out if there is a way back in if this is what you love. And that's my mission. Love that. Um, you said that so beautifully. I, I want to end on that actually, because that that's super powerful. And um, it aligns with, with my belief. I will ask you two more questions. In your opinion, um, why do you think burnout rates, given what you've just said, um, why do you think burnout rates in healthcare continue to rise? Yes, there's a pandemic. We know that's a big part of it, or it's shedding more light on it, rather. But can you give me your take quickly on that? Yeah. So I think that burnout is not a new phenomenon. It's been around for decades. I think now, anytime there's a change, people become anxious because we're wired for certainty, for familiarity. Our brain doesn't like change. And so as soon as the pandemic hit, all of my clients were in like high anxiety mode. You know, what if I have to quarantine and I'm going to feel trapped and like this, how long is this going to take? And, you know, what if I can't work and what if I'm going to lose my job? And like all the what ifs, right? Mm -hmm. They just like started coming up to the surface. Were they anxious about other things in their life before COVID? Yes. If you run high on anxiety, you're going to find something to be anxious about, Mm -hmm. right? And I even asked some of my clients, like, if you didn't have this, whatever it is, COVID, whatever it is to be anxious about, or the presidential election or whatever, if you didn't have that to be anxious about, what would be different? And they're like, I'd probably find something else to be anxious about, Mm -hmm. right? Like I, like 
that's just how they run. That's how their Mm -hmm. brain is wired. Right. So if that's you, then you have to know that and you have to learn to kind of rewire. But back to your question, I think that life happens and it just happens in different flavors. Right. So as I mentioned, like it could be right now, the big thing is COVID and what that means for healthcare is that there's a lot more pressure on people to see more patients and Mm -hmm. to have certain protocols in place and to deal with political differences because that's affecting how people show up and the choices that people are making that make them feel sick and then put you a, you know, like there's this whole thing that we know has happened in healthcare. Mm -hmm. And there's also this whole revolution of screw this. Like I don't need to stick around. So everybody's resigning. Yeah. Right. And so now what that means is the people that are still in it are having to fight the good fight, you know, for all the people that have left. Mm-hmm. In other words, like if I, if I, if now there's a shortage, I have to do the work of two or three people now. So there's more pressure on me. And so of course you're going to be burned out if you're trying to triple the workload, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, that's a lot of stress. That's a lot of demands on you. So there's a whole bunch of different factors that come into place with this. But I, I really think that these things are all there all the time and they just kind of, it's kind of like a salad where you have all the different ingredients. They all kind of float in space and then they all kind of come together at some point and they make different kinds of salads. Yeah, that's so true. I, I just wish that providers could empower themselves more to better their well-being and not feel so disempowered by the system that prevents them from getting help for themselves. Because it, it does seem like there's a lot of overlap between personal and professional life too and stressors. Um, and even if we can make our personal side better, it will. I've always felt that it would still help our professional side as well. And I think we just owe ourselves that, that time and space to feel better than, than we think is possible in that moment anyway, when you're feeling pretty burned out and pretty down. Yeah. And I think the other thing is that you don't learn the most essential skills in school. Right. And not to say that, you know, everything has to be on your shoulders, but ultimately, if we know that emotional intelligence is the most impactful thing that you can do to manage stress, to manage yourself, to manage your relationships, and they're not going to teach that to you, then that's an invitation for you to take that on to yourself because mm-hmm. while it's an, an, another thing that you have to learn, it will completely change your life. It'll make things so much easier and you're worth it ultimately. Yeah. So that's, that's really the invitation. Love that. And just using your story as an example, like in staying true to yourself, I think as providers, imagine if we all did that kind of our level of satisfaction with our careers and fulfillment with our careers, if we had the courage to do that, and hopefully finding the right support to guide us along the way, I think that that could transform, yeah, our fulfillment and our stress management and all of that and prevent burnout. Ultimately, I thank you so much for being here. I want to know about you in terms of where we can connect with you. Tell us about your book, tell us about your podcast, and ultimately where people can just reach out. Sure. So my book is called The 7E Solution to Burnout. It's available on Amazon. um, And you can also find a link on my website. And that's a great place to hang out just because I got links to all the resources there. So that's drsharongrossman.com. And in particular, I want to draw people's attention to, I have a burnout checklist. So if you're listening to this and you're wondering, is what I'm experiencing related to burnout and what stage of burnout am I in and what should I be focused on? 
then go to drsharongrossman.com forward slash burnout checklist, and you can download that for free. And if you're interested in going deeper into burnout and hearing people's stories and listening to me kind of decode their burnout, then uh, check out my podcast, which is also by that same name, Decode Your Burnout. Love it. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for all the work you're doing. It's making a huge difference and I appreciate your time. Thank Thank you, you, Jennifer. Thank you. Take care. So if you guys like this podcast, please subscribe and leave an honest review. Your feedback means everything to me. Your reviews are what moves this podcast forward and I always appreciate receiving them. If you want to get a hold of me directly, reach out to me on social media. My handles are in the show notes and you can always subscribe to my weekly newsletters at jennifergeorge.co so that we can stay connected. So until next time, thank you guys so much again for your ongoing support.